Welcome to the Resonance Test. I'm your host, Pete Chapin from Continuum. Sometimes design and designers can have an aura of mystery about them. I mean, just try to walk into Apple's offices and ask for a tour of their design spaces. I'm sure that will get you far. And to some extent, designers may need some protected time and spaces to get their best thinking done. But design can still be a democratic and inclusive pursuit. And I use the word democratic here very specifically because applying design to our government and our civic institutions within a city is a really exciting new arena. And it's certainly the opposite of private and rarefied design, because everything you're doing is out there in the open for the public to call you on. And having your clients be elected officials makes for a very unique relationship. In today's episode, we're excited to be talking with someone devoted to bringing design into the public eye. Sam Aquilano is the founder and executive director of Design Museum Foundation. They've spent years creating nomadic pop-up exhibits rather than having dedicated gallery spaces. They've done live design challenges that show, in real time, how design goes from those meetings and the strategy all the way through to the finished project. Most recently, they organized a Workplace Innovation Summit in Boston to think more purposefully about the future of how and where we work. Sam sat down recently with Continuum's John Campbell, Senior Vice President of Experience and Service Design, who is fresh from a terrifyingly visible civic project with the Boston Redevelopment Agency. Let's hear how John and Sam bonded over the joys of designing in public. Sam, happy election day. Happy to be here on this important day. I see you have your voted sticker. Mine's on my jacket yeah. somewhere. I love the sticker. It's it's good. Um, so uh, maybe uh, just to start out, tell us a little bit about Design Museum Boston and the Design Museum Foundation more broadly. Yeah, so Design Museum Foundation, I guess, is our sort of national entity. And uh, we are a national, nomadic, nonprofit museum. i got to get all three of the ends in there. And uh, we do exhibitions, events, thought leadership content around design impact and how design impacts our lives uh, across a variety of topics, whether it be cities, workplace, healthcare, all those areas where design impacts us because it does every single moment of every single day. Uh, So we're a museum. We do everything that museums do, but what makes us unique is that that pop-up nature of it. That's great. That's awesome. How how did you uh, come about this, this this concept? Yeah, my background's in design. I was an industrial designer uh, for many years, designing products. I loved it. My dream job. And, uh, but then I also, I love to learn and I love education, love museums, but we'll get to that in a second. So I started teaching design at night, um, at Wentworth Institute of Technology and Mass College of Art, uh, to undergrads. And then I started running the Industrial Designer Society of America in Boston. So it was like all, there was like design, education, community. I had all these like random jobs and side projects but the thing that really like always kind of stuck with me was the fact that in all of those realms, I was teaching people about design that wanted to know what design was. Like there was a hunger around, like, tell me more, like I'm in, but no one was really educating the public about what design was and how it impacts our lives. And so, you know, I wish I could say we were like museum, perfect. But we were thinking a lot, this is my business partner and I, Derek Cassio, we're sort of like, how can we engage the public like what's the right mechanism to do that and we were like well we could do an event series you know that's public and that people will want to come check out or we can do exhibitions you know we're doing an exhibition every year and none of them felt complete enough and it was a trip that i did um through europe with bose thanks bose um where i got to visit different design museums and coming back i was like that sort of umbrella where we could do 
the type of programming and content and workshops, stuff for kids, museum just felt like the right kind of mechanism to do that. And so um, we were going to be a traditional building museum, you know, have our own space. Uh, but that, you know, we started in 2009 during like the recession and it was just, man, the worst. Not possible. the best timing. Oh to, my to, gosh. Yeah. It was either the worst time or the best time, right? Because it was the worst time because no one would fund us. No one was funding anything at that point. Everyone thought it was a really cool idea and that Boston would be a great place to have it. The design community is huge, you know, per capita. Um, but there wasn't really an institution in Boston focused on public and design. But, the, you know, 2008, 2009, we all remember. And so the reason I say maybe it was the best, because then it kind of forced us to innovate on what a museum even is. And that's how we kind of pivoted to this pop-up museum concept that, I mean so aligns with we, we say design is everywhere so are we design being everywhere and the museum being everywhere that alignment i think has driven a lot of our success it's that idea of uh innovation within constraints right? oh my gosh by necessity the great recession yeah thanks recession <laughs> <laughs> um so that's an that's an interesting notion though because i think you're right we we all get super jazzed talking to each other about design but design is often hidden among the public, right? Oh, yeah. When I talk I mean, to friends or colleagues uh, that are outside this space, uh, family, uh, they think of, you know, fashion design, auto, automotive design. Um, talk a little bit about that and how you're trying to tackle that. Yeah, there's an image in people's head of what design is. And, you know, like HGTV comes up and like Project Runway. Like, like Apple and Target have like using that word, which is great, but people still have that, that notion. Um, so sometimes we don't even use the word design. We talk more in the language of, so we have these 12 impact areas that we produce our programming in, anything stemming from cities to entrepreneurship to data visualization, workplace. And so we use the words that are in that realm and the, talk about the problems in those spaces. And then we talk about how design can solve them. And that kind of leading with the topic or leading with where design impacts instead of leading with like, here's what designers do helps us at least get in the door and into people's headspace. Then we trick them <laughs> um, into learning about design because what, do, I mean, we always think about design at the museum as a problem solving process, That's right. you know, and that can be applied to anything. And once you get that into people's heads and they, they see it, they visualize it, then we're onto something. Right. Right. Then they start to reframe it as, as an approach as opposed to exactly. an outcome. It's, exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's great. So, so you talked about starting in 2009, um, summer of 2010, uh, Design Museum Boston and Continuum joined up and, and, and did something pretty interesting around, uh, I guess, a, a transparent design project. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. yeah, that was a lot of fun. So this was, again, super early in our history. Uh, we had a brand that we slapped together ourselves that was really terrible. Um, I designed it. I will own up to this. Um, it was just, you know, text, you know, logo mark, um, or no logo mark. And it was red, black, and white because every museum is red, black, and white. This is like, how do you emulate to like look bigger than you are? And in, even in those early days, we wanted to be as transparent as possible. So we started, uh, this is pre, you know, Facebook existed, but pre sort of like everyone being on Facebook, we started a website, like our own online community called designingamuseum.org. And people could join and like give feedback about our ideas and 
our vision for that site was that everything about the museum would be like done on that site from the branding to even curating exhibitions like that people would like, um, which never really came to fruition. It did. It was an amazing platform just to get people engaged in the museum and being like, we want this. Like it was like a proof of concept that there was an audience out there. But when we got into these like projects, I almost felt like people were like, well, do your job <laughs> and then we will react to it. Right, right. And so that whole notion that we could fully run the museum as this like giant collective, we had to pull back a little bit. But we love the idea of doing design in public and it's something that's been part of our you know, values from the beginning. So um, back in 2010, you know, I knew, like Bryant Ross and John Magnifico. Will Thomas. Yeah, right. Will Thomas. And I think, I forget what it was called, the thing continuum was called like, was it? X-Lab. X-Lab. That's right. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. <laughs> Or even say the words, I make the X sign. <laughs> and, um, you know, they were looking to kind of make their mark, you know, pardon the pun. And uh, they were friends as well. Which a lot of these things always start with that sort of relationship. And we said, look, we want, we need a brand. We know we need a brand. It's got to be better than what Sam did. Um, and I'm like, yes, please. And by the way, we want to do it in public. And I was, the first surprising moment was like, Brian and John and the team were like, that's really interesting because our clients won't let us do that. Right, right. And A, we want to show off. B, how interesting would it be to get public feedback from people? And C, like we could actually iterate on the design based on what people think. And so we kicked off this you know, multi-week project where they did their design work, they did their jobs, and then they published it on Core 77 uh, week after week with real questions for the community and a way to like vote and, and provide comments. And I mean, we, they, we went through the whole design process from like sort of discovery, which was an amazing, you know, Derek and I often don't talk about this, but we had just started the museum. We didn't even know what it was, right? you know, still figuring out. Yeah. So we were really, I think at that moment just pivoted to being nomadic. So this was like a real critical point. And I think this whole process really helped us like solidify that because we had to tell others like, what is this and what, what is your mission and how do you want to do this? They captured it all. They did a lot of competitive research. And then the exciting thing is then they started designing. And that's when we were just like, "This is I don't think this has ever happened before. I don't think it's happened since. Right, right. So it's a pretty special project. And the outcome, to me, I mean, I think our brand is our, we don't have a building, so our brand is our most valuable asset. Sure. Still. So here on election day, uh, with everyone out voting, yeah. uh, all this turnout apparently, um, what was that process like of having Core 77 readers voting on your brand uh and it wasn't it wasn't so much of a um a, a bake-off but rather um, a, a meaningful community discussion about what you guys are and how you bring that to life yeah i mean that was what was cool about collaborating with core 77 is because they have a really robust um discussion community i mean i can't believe i'm saying that in 2016 that like discussion boards are still like alive and well on core sure. 77 and so i've like participated in other like you know, online sketch hackathons or whatever, where you just kind of post your ideas. So that community is really strong there. So it's totally the right partner. But for me, as sort of like this, you know, not business owner, because we're a nonprofit, no one owns us, but as the executive director, it started as completely terrifying. Like I, I, we knew, and that's the beauty of having a co-founder, because you can kind of like share that fear. Derek and I were scared as hell <laughs> to like put this process out there because... I'll be honest, the thing we were worried about, like, if you make this thing public, and we cared about our relationship with Continuum, like, 
we have to use whatever comes out of this. Right, right. Right? Like, what, it would be horrible if by the end we're like, we hate it. We're going back to the <laughs> Sam over. version. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Sam is the best. <laughs> um, so, honestly, like, that was the first, like, little bit of fear, which is, like, we need to be, you know, totally fine with whatever comes out of this. Not forever, but for a good amount of time, be like, this is our brand. And to trust Bryant and the team, which we totally did, and that's kind of, like, one, one out in the day was... We trust them to have like a really thoughtful process. So then we get to the voting and that it really started getting crazy because of course concepts that I liked are totally getting, you know, pooped on right, right. online. And it started to be very real about halfway through that like the I was putting all this forget the trust I already had in the continuum team, I was putting even more trust in the public to like understand the concept, which I by the way had just started to understand myself. And, like, be very thoughtful about their choices, which I will say, and I, and I think that's also part of, you know, if people are listening that did vote, like, I'm so grateful for the thoughtfulness. It was not, like, I don't think we had one instance of, like, snarkiness or trolling or whatever the words are right. around that stuff. It was all, like, really, po- I think because we were new and people were, like, a new design museum would be great. And they were just really thoughtful. And um, and that's a great forum, right? Yeah, I mean, the it was Core perfect. 77, you're going to have people that are passionate and that have, have good And have opinions. real expertise. I mean, I think that was another piece of it is the audience there are professional designers you know, and students, but there's a, a real level of thought leadership. And so I think the voting commenced. And I think the structure was good, too, because it wasn't just like voting on the, on the final. There was voting throughout. So... Derek and I still sort of on the back end could like push our influence. Um, but in the end, the, the finished design or the design that got the most votes and that went through all the iterations um, got one more iteration after the final voting. And that's the brand that we use. I mean, no other changes. That's fantastic. Which is like, yeah, it's unprecedented. I, I recently, I think I was, I was saying to one of your team, there was a brand new conference. They do a conference on branding every year. And one of their presenters brought up the Continuum Design Museum logo project and said it's the only instance of truly public branding design ever. And you were at the conference? No, no, I was, you, I watched you the read video. It? Yeah, yeah. yeah, I watched and you the video were and I was like, oh my gosh, like our logo. That's fantastic. Yeah, so it was a pretty special project. And, and by the way, it helped because we've done a number of um, public design um, programs since then where we actually, or we or design teams do public design and the audience actually gets to witness it. Because I think sometimes that's the only way to really, you know, understand what design is. Right, right. So what? So this idea of designing in public, what, what else have, what have you seen are the benefits of designing in public? I mean, clearly, I mean, I think we can agree, like, right, design is human-centered. So right there, humans need to be part of it. And they can be part of it from a, you know, if you're looking at this from like a phase perspective, like, oh, we're going to do our user research in the beginning, wonderful and that's thank god has become the norm sort of like in the design community i remember even in my you know relatively short career as a designer there's like a period before we did user research and there's a period after we did user research and the work after is a lot better uh so even when i worked uh, at bose corporation they really bought into deep user research which i always appreciated as a designer uh, but now, so I think the next thing is, it's not just a phase, it's the whole process, because there's value and opinions and thoughts that can be inserted at every, because you know, inherently, if you're only doing that user research in the beginning, you're missing out on a lot of 
iteration and a lot of, um, and sometimes people do like intermittent, you know, user research, but doing the whole process in public is so much more rich. And from our perspective, from the museum where our education is part of our um, mission, I always tell my team, so we did a, as an example, we did a three day hackathon under I-93 where we had 10 design teams tackle how do you improve this space under this really terrible highway. Uh, well, the highway's great. It's great to get places to, but underneath, horrible. And, you know, we invited the public to come see it, but I told my team, if we are able to take the decision makers on this journey, so like MassDOT, the local developers, through the whole process, we, we've already won, right? Because that, if we can educate them, those people, like, in a deep way, success. And then if more public comes and witnesses it, even better. Sure, sure. Because if they, again, to your point, if they start thinking of it as this process that's usable and that provides for unique outcomes that are human-centered, we've won. And so that's why we do as much public design as possible. Take it out of the swanky studio. People with turtlenecks. Yeah, the black you know, that whole perception. glasses. Yep, yep. That it's design's only able to be done by a certain group of people and empower you know, non-experts. I, I'm, I'm totally for expertise. I love the experts that write articles for our magazine and that speak at our events. But the next level is going to be that, um, you know, person in the community that's like, you know what, I think we can use the design process to redesign how we even think about our neighborhood. I mean, that would be epic. Right. Um, I think that's part of like what we're trying to move towards. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so that, that, that process uh, for the Core 77 Design Museum Boston uh, continuum uh, activity around the new brand was actually inspiration for continuum um, when we worked on the high school redesign project for the Boston Public Schools and then most recently for the Boston Redevelopment Authority, now Boston Planning and Development Agency. And that we felt was a nice model, kind of designing out loud or designing transparently to allow people to weigh in to see the progress that's, that's being made. In terms of civic design or engaging design for governments and, and some of these larger, more entrenched um, organizations. Are there the benefits that you see for, for this kind of design, designing for transparency or designing with transparency rather? I think it's could find its main home in designing for civic, you know, problems, right? I think the, the problem that happens too often is that the people who are working for us are, just like designers, sometimes they're put in a room and they're, you know, sometimes you go to city hall, which I love, and there's a bunch of people who are working in their offices without real connection to the people that they're working for. And so if you even just think about it at the public design as a way to draw them out and to actually see how their decision, I mean, design's a, a group of decisions sometimes made one after another towards the outcome. And if you can see that those decisions, small, large, medium, large, are affecting people in real time. I think that is that goes back to taking those those leaders and just bringing them along for the ride. That just opens their eyes. And then I think for the if it goes both ways, then if the public then sees their leaders actively participating in problem solving, to me that's like everyone is winning. And that is something that's so miss. I mean, I was amazed to hear that you guys were working with the uh, now BPDA uh, because they have that sort of. And I've worked with them. I've worked with them on pretty much every project, and I've always found that te those teams 
very receptive to new ideas. And I think part of the reason I'm still even sitting here and work for the museum is that they've supported our work through permitting and, and help right. for so many projects. And then I go out and I talk to people and their perception of it, of the then BRA, is that it's closed off. You know, it's a bunch of evil people, you know, working away in dark rooms. And I would be like, that's not the, you know, then I became an advocate. And I said, well, look, Design Museum wouldn't even exist without the BRA. And they're kind of like surprised. And I'm like, I've always thought, and that's, again, why I was so happy to hear that you guys were working with them, was like, if they could just take some of those success stories and show how they've changed. Look, they have a history that is there. You can't change that. But they should change the way that they interact with the public. And I think they already, they already were. You guys give them an opportunity to really embody that in a more meaningful way. I think too what what's what's very exciting for them is that they they already do more than you know several hundred community meetings each yeah. year, but how they can start to talk in the language of the citizens mm-hmm. right engage mm-hmm. residents in new ways yeah uh, i think is 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 really exciting there's the there's the online component that we drew some inspiration from 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 you guys on there's also things like uh uh in person exhibits interactions workshops and the like mm-hmm. are there any other tactics that come to mind that that civic designers could could take advantage of and yeah i mean we you know, mentioned a little bit like the, the hackathon mm-hmm. concept i it's starting you're starting to see it being applied to government in different ways um, but i think more of that would be really good sometimes these projects and that's again why we did the um the three-day hackathon under the overpass which if you take it out of the realm of civic or kind of but in placemaking it's kind of a a mirrored concept placemaking takes a long time right and so do things in the civic realm and so how do you show someone that design can demonstrate, you know, how do you demonstrate that design can make a place or make a place stronger, healthier in a short amount of time? And so that's when like the hackathon was a, a mechanism that we used um, that I thought was really good. Um, I also see just the opportunity to capture, and I think you guys did a little bit of this from what I saw with the MBTA, where you're actually capturing writers' thoughts and ideas, like where they are. That's another key concept through the museum is context. Yes, context matters. Context matters. That's why we do programming where we do it. Like, we'll do a program around um, open space design. We could either do that in a tiny room like we're sitting in, or we can actually do it on the greenway. And how much more powerful is it if you're actually in context and like experiencing design while you're hearing a thought leader talk to you about it? So I think the work around capturing you know, it's, it's, it is a mechanism for user research, but doing that in the right contextual environments, I think, is amazing. And people then feel empowered and they want to learn more and they want, what's the outcome? How do I get more engaged? And then that can roll into even more, you know, into deeper interactions. Sure, sure. There, there seems to be an awful lot of, of civic design going on lately, this, this idea of using design to create better experiences for users, right? Residents, oh, yeah. um, improving policy, driving innovation in, in government education, safety and security, transportation, like all really big problems. What, what do you think's happened that's, that's brought design to the fore for government? Yeah, it's a good question because it almost seemed like, you know, because we were doing projects, you know, starting in 2009 all the way to now. And I, and I do like to think, I won't take all the credit, but I do like to think that our persistence and like working with folks at the BRA like kind of opened the door for lots of different projects like we did the, the street seats benches yep. and I got a lot of no's a lot of this is never going to happen and we just stuck with it and we just 
kept trying to like, we got the public to like help make the case for it. And we had, so this is a worker all going around to, there were key people in city hall who were like, this is a good idea. And this is a guy that can actually achieve it. No surprise. They were on the younger side. So I think there's this like, you go to city hall now and there's a lot of like young, smart people yeah. walking around that are like, we're not into the status quo. We like want to shake things up and try new things. Like we're here to work. Yes. We're not here just to sit in an office and like push paper. So I think, I don't think we can discount the fact that there's talented, um, new city employees that are, um, and I don't say it's not just young people, right? There, there were people uh, and new leadership too. I mean, here in, here in Boston with Mayor Walsh, I think he genuinely is into new ideas. Yeah. I don't think it's like a window dressing. No, I, I'm very impressed with, with, City Hall broadly and, yeah. and, and the innovation focus that he's that he's pushed on that mm-hmm. the uh, the energy there is pretty impressive. I mean, I feel yeah. like they're 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 very ex- they're they're very into trying new things, not being afraid to experiment with new yeah. ideas, and that can be hard in government, right? Where oh, yeah. there's election pressures that the the politicians have, there's expectations on getting it right. Failure is not exactly something that you know voters put up with. I wonder if there is almost a new model for designing within within cities or within government to, to allow a little more for the experimentation. Yeah, I think, I don't know how to like describe this model, but there's still, and it's fine within City Hall, there's like the things that you can't touch. <laughs> you know, there's like the you break it, you bought it stuff right, right, that's right, like right. closed off. But maybe eventually... Healthcare. You know, yeah, there's, there's things like that, these yeah. things that like, if you went to City Hall and you're like, I've got some crazy ideas to like change the sewage you know, <laughs> treatment. I don't know. <laughs> um, but, and maybe that circle gets smaller and smaller that, you know, the China shop gets smaller and smaller. But there are things like outside that barrier that they are totally down with trying different things like using data. Like I'm thinking about like the, the plowing, like how they use data with the plows to like yep. figure out the best. I mean... I was like, oh my God, we had uh, one of the new urban mechanics speak at one of our events about how they use that data and totally changed how plowing happens. Or city score generally, right? Yeah. Being able to oh. see the, the health and vibrancy of the, the problem solving in the city. Yeah. I mean, there is really, and so I think maybe it's up to us to like keep pushing on like infusing design into as many areas of government as possible to show that it is that process for pro- pro- problem solving. You get the right people in the room, the right decision makers you'll have an outcome that can be amazing. I mean, we just got to keep pushing. It does seem like an exciting, an exciting time. Like you see that at the federal level too, oh, right? Presidential yeah. Innovation Fellows, um, USDS. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really the opportunity, exciting. I think, is beyond the, I mean, maybe not from a, or maybe from a pure dollar standpoint, because it's just wide open. I mean, there's just, no one's really doing it. Um, that I mean, it could be huge. There's so many. I mean, I was even looking at my ballot. Does that graphic design? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it was like. Where do you live? I live in South Boston. Okay. okay. Yeah. I'm in Somerville, and yeah, yeah they, there's ballot initiatives that broke halfway through to the next yes. page. And, yeah. There was. I mean, ours aren't even. You know, people are posting pictures of even just the line spacing between like the candidate and Democrat, and then the word Republican was actually closer. To that oh, candidate. interesting. And so you're like, which party are they for? <laughs> I mean, there is a whole, I think, innovation around elections that uh, we were even joking. This is like total nerd alert stuff, but we're waiting in line and, you know, it was streets that are A through M and then L through Z. 
and I live in South Boston, so it's like A Street, B Street, C Street. And we're like, there's probably only one street that's M through Z. That's right. That's and so right. like in five minutes, someone, a data scientist, aka like even my mom, would like look <laughs> at the list of streets and be like, well, actually, it should be A through C, right? And then D through Z, right? The simple. That's and I think that speaks to the opportunity is that. And I hate the low-hanging fruit, but there are so there's so much low-hanging fruit for improvement in government in the civic realm that designers could really make a name for themselves and really show the possibilities, and that has so much impact on people's lives that it would just be insane the it amount is. of impact. I mean, mind-blowing. When I think I think I totally agree. I also think that when people think of designing for a large system like that. It's so complex. There's bureaucracies and rules and regulation and, and all that. But there are pieces, discrete mm-hmm. pieces of services you can pull out and design, right? Definitely. Whether it's the ballot initiative or how you queue up, um, all that is 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 discrete well, enough yeah, that right you can make it way better. To keep the metaphor going. Like right, just right. pick what you want to to tackle and and try it out. Like the guy it was a friend that ended up in front of me in line, he was like Oh, if I had thought about this yesterday, I would have like prototyped some kind of like South Boston like voting, and I was like, "Do it in four years. Yeah, like, yeah. try it out. Like, go to city or Hall. next year. Yeah, right? try yeah. it next year. Yeah, do it in a non, you know, in a midterm election, uh, and just try it because I think there's there's reception like to the new ideas. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. Any area within kind of civic that you feel like should be tackled that needs new thinking and, and design could help? Yeah, I mean, I definitely around like, you know, cities is such a broad term, but we recently had a, an event around, there's a startup called Co-Urbanize that's trying to change community meetings. And I think that's an area that, I think they have one solution and I think it's really smart. I think there's probably others as well. So I think making it easier for people to engage in the future of their community is a, problem, challenge, opportunity, call it what you will, that if we could unlock that, um, then it unlocks a lot of other things and it maybe makes the public design process easier because people feel like they, they have a voice and, you know, the classic, you know, community meetings are at like 2 PM during the week. I can't go. Right. Right. Like there's this whole debate going around this helipad that they want to add to Boston and I live in that neighborhood, and I would really like to be part of that conversation. I don't have a strong feeling yet either way because I'm just not informed enough. I want to get informed. How do I do that? Where do I find information? Is there a way to engage as like a committee? So I think if we can make that part of city life easier, um, it, it could create a lot of new opportunities. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's the benefit of understanding who's who's using this, this service or wants to participate. We saw the Absolutely. same thing. You had... 6 p.m. meetings, which is not conducive to someone with a kid that needs to eat or work second shift or, or something like that. And you just yeah. have, you have to think about those 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 use cases and say, you know what, are we providing the right forums for people? Yeah, I'll just add, just if it's not like a particular area of government per se or civic engagement, but just technology. The fact that technology is not infused into government to me is a missed opportunity. Um, and does that mean that jobs will be replaced by technology. Maybe it's happening in other Everywhere sectors else. of the economy. And I mean, I'm not afraid of that. I don't work for a civic, you know, I don't have a city job, but 
if we're talking about being more efficient, being able to spend more on education and things that we really want to spend on, we need to get more efficient just in government. And that's not just at the local level. That's everywhere needs to be infusing technology. So I'm sure there's a like, little bit of fear in that. But again, maybe that's something where design can just kind of be like chipping at the edges and showing the benefits of a more engaged, efficient government. Uh, I think we'd see the, the fruits of that. Sure, sure. It's almost the same way you said you educate the public about design. It's like you start to show these these areas where we can help in that space, and then mm-hmm. suddenly people start to get the, the value. Oh, that. yeah. People, I mean, pretty much after every program, whether it's an event or an exhibition, people just come out of the woodwork, and they're like, you opened my eyes to the fact that like we can think differently about We just did a whole program around Playscape, Design Playgrounds. Now we're getting calls of people who are like, we really need to rethink like our playground. Can you help us? And we're like... Oh yeah, we can. We have a lot of resources, but it's it's demystifying design to the point where people can even feel like they're part of the conversation. Sure. Like that, I think is a big part of it. It can't be like I think people think that there's just someone pressing a button that and playgrounds coming off the factory. Like they're not thinking about all the intelligence and creativity that goes into it. A and then B, they have they feel like they have no agency to be part of that. Right. And right. so the more that we can get them into that. It's so cool to see playground manufacturers like having kids just like come in every week and like Try go to town out. on their prototypes. I mean, that to me was so cool to see. It's a nice point too that so many people I think take their their current environment for granted, but someone had to make those decisions, mm-hmm. and they totally could be the wrong decisions. Yeah. So giving people that opportunity to design and then also the agency to, to, to build that or, yeah. or change that is, is really cool. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I see a huge opportunity, by the way, around... Now I'm answering your question for a third time. But I think there's a huge opportunity in the civic world, forget government, but just helping communities brand their community. Um, you know, I was just in Chinatown with my wife, and I'm like... Very rarely do you hear about like gentrification and like a new tower being built in a Chinatown because they have a strong brand, they have a strong close-knit community. The thing is, and I, we work with a lot of developers, developers are great at branding they are communities. Too. That is like their expertise. And sometimes, wonderful, they do a great job and it's everyone's their building community. Sometimes they're completely taking over a community, rebranding it even though there's a community there. So how can we empower neighborhoods to be like no no this is ours right this is the brand we're part of this we own this this is what we stand for this is what we stand for yeah what's the if you don't stand for something you'll fall for anything well it's like if you don't have that brand and this is our community then when someone comes in and says well now i'm going to call this the sparkle block you know it's like then you know everyone starts rallying around oh i have to live in the sparkle block right right tm yeah tm (laughs) like oh i have to be sparkly and then you get people moving in and then displacement, you know, people moving out. So I think design can be used to um, help communities realize that vision of like, this is our neighborhood. Right. Right. That's great. Speaking of new neighborhoods, um, you talked a little bit about starting out as design is everywhere. So are we pop up 2014 comes along. Now you have your own area too in the innovation district. Oh yeah. And, uh, Curious what, what uh, the experience has been since since moving we or I landing mean, there. Well, so now we're not necessarily – our office is in downtown Crossing now. So oh, it's a little sorry. Weird. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, we do a, did a lot and do a lot of our programming in the Innovation District. And I think that 
part of the reason, again, that I'm sitting here and the museum is alive and, and thriving is Mayor Menino's vision to transform the seaport into the innovation district. Um, and I think, hope, hopefully, we were part of helping to create that, like bringing the arts along for the ride and, um, and leading the way. I'm amazed at, and now we are the envy of other cities, at the ecosystem that has been created here. And whether that's a was the strategy or a byproduct of the strategy, doesn't matter. It exists. And uh, so just from a history standpoint, our first office was on Summer Street. It was a co-working space for nonprofits. That doesn't exist <laughs> like, anywhere. Like That is like an amazing resource where the rent was low and we were surrounded by other nonprofits. We were a mass challenge um, company in 2012, so the world's largest startup accelerator. We were one of the first nonprofits to get in. We had this beautiful office that we had no... I remember walking in there being like, we don't belong here. <laughs> and then I stood at the window and I was like, ha, ha, with a But I'll take it. Yeah, yeah. I'll take it. I've totally bought into it. Um, but so that is part of the ecosystem. Now you have where we're sitting, the Innovation and Design Building, and the folks at Jamestown that are really investing in community and ecosystem. And so, and I, I will tell you, like I now I get calls from people either doing research or interested in creating something in their city where they're like, "How does the innovation district work?" Like they want like the special sauce of like. And when I always tell them, it's how like, to replicate how it, how to replicate it, I'm like, well, it's got to come from both the bottom and the top because you have to have the government, you know, civic has to be willing to, you know, I, this is I, I forget I can't quote the person, but I can quote their words. They said, "Your program is super innovative, Sam." There's no way I could get you a permit for this in Back Bay. But if you want to try it out in the innovation district, that's where we're kind of trying things out. We consider it a lab for the city. And I was like, sold. Where do I sign? We are going to do so much cool stuff yeah, in this area. And I mean, I, I live here now. I live in Fort Point. Because I was like, I got to be part of this. And now, like, my whole life now is in here. But the ability to try things, take risks is one part of the equation. Second is the resources and facilities, which we have District Hall, we have IDB, other like co-working spaces, Art for Humanity, Art for Humanity mm -hmm. exactly. And then uh, the people. And so with those previous things, people usually come, but there was already thriving artist community uh, in Fort Point, entrepreneurs coming out of the woodwork in here at the Design Center and in the areas of Fort Point you know, because there's cheap space. And so when all of that mix came together, it was like, why wouldn't GE want to be here? Right. right exactly. Why wouldn't Continuum want to be here? It's like the most massive talent pool, exciting projects. I mean, I'm amazed. I was joking with um, Rick Rundell from Autodesk, uh, and we were talking just about how cool it was. So we did our conference on workplace innovation the same day. I mean, we didn't plan it this way, but that MyTex did their design and tech summit. And at first I was like, oh man, two events the same day. I was like, this is what we're working towards. When, you have to, when you're in Boston, you have to choose that between so cool. these two epic things. That is cool. Because if you're in New York or LA, you're like, man, there's like 20 things I could do tonight that are either entertainment, knowledge, some mix of both. And I have to choose versus, you know, when I first moved to Boston, it was like, there's nothing happening tonight. <laughs> you know, it was right. like, and that's where it was so kind of like, we're jazzed to get the museum going because there's a community here and it just needs programming and a, and a reason to get together. And it feeds off each other. That oh was the my ecosystem. Gosh. The ecosystem, here. yeah, it totally feeds off itself and each other. And you get now we collaborate with Mass Challenge, we collaborate with District Hall. Like you have this just the X factor <laughs> of like 
how this whole thing works. And now you see it opening. I mean, that's another part of the beauty of the Innovation District is now you see even like Downtown Crossing where I think the building owners in the neighborhood association there were like, well, we can be innovative. And it's like, okay, let's figure that out. Start competing, have, right? Yeah. Now we have, so we're our offices at CIC Boston, which is an amazing co-working space. And the pure just amount of innovation happening in that building alone. And then you have all these other, like the WeWorks. And so I think Boston is definitely, I'm happy, really happy to be in Boston, like at this moment in time. It's, it's a special time. The Center for Workplace Innovation and the conference, uh, the the Workplace Innovation Summit that you just mentioned, super fantastic last week. Nice. Really killer. Great attendance. Great. You guys were getting tweeted left and right. Oh, social media was, oh, it was phenomenal. Through the roof. I was happy. What uh, you want to talk a little bit about that and why why you're so excited about it? Yeah. So we started the Center for Workplace Innovation sort of as like a a wing of our ephemeral museum. Um, as a way to really, we were doing so much programming around workplace and workplace innovation that it sort of made sense to like have this hub for it all and partnered with Jamestown, which is like the perfect partnership. And there's a lot of problems in workplace. I mean, you guys, you know this, you know, people are engaged in their work. The Gallup number is only 30% of people are engaged in their work. And all these, the numbers around talent retention and Oh gosh, health in the workplace. I and mean, we spend half our waking lives in the workplace. So this is one of the one of those examples to what I mentioned earlier where we don't even mention the word design when we talk to these uh, type of people to get them engaged. We talk about these problems and challenges and then by the way, here's a way that can solve them. And so we had just an epic program uh, from people like um, Adam Connor from MadPow talking about organization design. I mean, he was one of my favorites. I guess a lot, of, and, and I'm sure people come to you guys as well. Andy has a great beard. Oh, the beard is, yeah, I almost said through the roof, but it's through the floor, I guess. Um, but he always gets asked. So clients will come to him and be like, I want you to create an innovative culture within my company. And he's like, I, I can't. And he had a great slide that was like, your culture already exists, right? Like whether you like it or not. Your culture is not something that you can just like blow up and like start over. Like it's embedded and it right. exists. So that the real challenge is how do you change your culture? And he had all these different um, mechanisms for doing that. Uh, so that was on one end, which is totally like the thought leadership around org design, to um, having Peter Kavanaugh from GE talk like specifically about the workplace strategy for that building. And so I think we kind of covered the the spectrum of. HR topics, um, office design topics, and for us, I mean, the success for me, if the numbers are great, people came, but the different types of people in the audience, so you had real estate developers, you had, uh, of course, designers, strategists, um, construction, and so for us, that shows that we aren't, we don't ever want to just be talking to designers, because that is like failure mode for us. The best thing we can do is have a broad audience that's like, seeing I mean we had Brian Coop the senior VP at Boston Properties real estate guy in that world came up on stage full suit I mean blue power tie love this guy talked about how awesome design is the whole time and I was like if I'm a real estate person sitting in, in the audience seeing Brian Coop talking about how design you'll let this is a small aside but for every project they do so these are huge real estate developments giant buildings communities they create a movie poster before the project to like capture their vision. So they use design like 
immediately they're like, and he calls it um, creating a stance. Every project needs a stance. And if you don't have a stance, the whole thing's going to fall apart. And so then they capture the stance in a movie poster. And I just thought that was brilliant. And you can see the real estate people in the audience just like nodding. I'm like, yes, that is the key. If we can find people who like drank the Kool-Aid and who believe in design in all these different fields and get them, give them a, a platform to kind of tell their story, like we will win every time. That's killer. Yeah, That's it was great. fun. He was, he was like the grandpa that everyone wants to have. But it's like <laughs> super cool, like has totally into design, sees how it can... I will say that even, the, and I'll say this because he said it publicly, was he said like early in my career, even, you know, five years ago, we were doing the wrong thing. And he owned up to it. He was like, we weren't thinking human-centered. We weren't thinking sustainability. And he's like, but I'll tell you what, we are now. And I'm glad we are now because that's what's going to elevate, you know, Boston properties to the next level. And I was like, man, that's so cool to be like design is part of their new culture of a company that size of yeah. a company that size you know national international uh, sort of a game changer and to to go like that big and then so tactical to the movie poster mm -hmm. i thought was like i was just sitting in the audience being like you did it <laughs> that's so great so yeah it was a fun event and we'll do it every year so what's your point too around you know it's it's hr it's space and office design mm -hmm. it's culture it's development you get all those people together, they all understand the power of design. That's how you tackle these big challenges. And it's across every every industry has an office or some sort. I mean, retail is a workspace. Education is a workspace. Sure. Restaurants are workspaces. And then offices. So all those those disciplines that you mentioned, plus all these industries, that's why people ask, you know, have these 12 impact areas you have, why did you focus on workplace innovation first? And, you know, my answer, my answer, the truth is that we're just naturally doing a lot of that programming because it was so impactful. But the truth is, we can impact so many people through that topic uh, because work is part of the human experience. So and so topical these days, as you said. Oh my right? gosh! And, and inequities, to, pay, yes. health, and yeah. mm -hmm. it's all connected. Nutrition. I mean, we had uh, a um, workshop halfway through the day about creating a healthy workplace, and a lot of the I loved it because uh, her, so her name was Lee Stringer from EYP Architects, and she has a slide where it was like. She lets the audience vote. And so I think it was like, we could talk about space, nutrition, exercise, or stress. And no one wanted to talk about the first three. Everyone was like, let's talk about stress. And then she's like, but stress is <laughs> nutrition, exercise, right? And space all impact stress. And so it's just like a really clever like mechanism on her part to right. kind of be like, here's how you make the workplace less stressful. Right. You have, if you want to talk about that one, let's, solve with let's these. Let's dive back into the others and uh, just get gets the, it's so funny what people want to hear versus what they need to hear. And I thought her design of her presentation was brilliant. That's great. That's great. So Design Museum Foundation, you have Portland, you have San Francisco. What What's going on there? And, and, uh, and uh, what's the vision going forward? Yeah, so... Uh, in Portland, right now we have our Playscapes exhibition, and I mean we love Portland as a as a city. I mean just as a community, it's so entrepreneurial. Everyone is making something, is starting a business. I always tell people like if I could, if you could start an economy from scratch, I would build it in the image of Portland because <laughs> everything is either handmade or made of local materials. There's real thought behind it. You know, even like the branding of the restaurants there is like so good. Like the menus are well designed. Like, and it's not all of Portland, but there is this 
you know, interesting. A history had played into that as well. Like, right, they were a logging and an industrial economy that, you know, tanked. But then because of the strong attachment to, to land and all the, and their urban policies, were able to recreate or to create this entrepreneurial, I almost say, like, we've got the innovation district. Like, the whole city is innovative and trying new things and not afraid to fail. Also a very young, young city. Uh, so it was a great place for our programming um, not only for that, but also, I'll say also, like, when you tell people in Boston, like, we're a pop-up museum, they're like, well, museums are made out of bricks. You know? <laughs> but in Portland, you tell people it's a pop-up museum, they're like, that's so cool, right, how right. do I get involved? Like, what a cool idea. Of course it is. Of course, like, why wouldn't it be? Uh, and I love people who think that, like, Design Museum was born in Portland, because it just seems like an idea that would be born there. And that's great, because even though our model is the same, and it's, you know, the same organization, just different branches, we can be... Uh, reflective of the needs and the community that's there. So we do a lot of program around entrepreneurship, around making, and around, um, actually around, a lot around data and tech, because mm-hmm. that industry is growing. Uh, so that's been really cool. That was our first expansion city, and now we're doing programming in San Francisco, which has been really interesting. And I, I mean, one of my favorite parts of my job is like figuring out what topics resonate with which cities. And it's taken me like a year, but the social impact programming that we do has been really popular in san francisco um there's a i mean there's a lot of interesting challenges and problems to tackle in a city where everyone wants to live and work and there's no space and there's traditional communities that are being displaced and so i think there's a lot of impact that we can have through that thought leadership um there yes but the vision i mean i want the museum in every major city not just the U.S., like every, I want us to have branches in every city. And we can test and do things. We have a little uh, pop-up exhibit in Chicago right now. We've done a couple events. Um, I would love for us to be there. Uh, I want us to be everywhere. And so we have a strategy around expansion, but then also a strategy around media. And so we recently launched uh, Design Museum Magazine as a way to really be everywhere. Um, and then um, in the coming year, we're going to be relaunching our website around content and thought leadership. And so, yeah, it's an exciting time to uh, take this sort of startup, you know, concept. And I think this, we're moving out of that startup phase um, as much as I hate to leave it and more into sort of like growth and expansion of the idea. It's exciting. It's super exciting. Tiring. Oh, I'm sure. But, <laughs> but that's every startup that's and every, every business. Right? Every business. If you're not tired, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. Um, so, so a uh, couple more questions on on that. One. So, uh, every major city, I think that's interesting because Boston, Portland, San Francisco lend themselves to innovation and design. So, I think that's yeah. exciting. Right. Can you talk about it being in maybe a a less traditional city? Oh and, yeah, I and mean, how we can still thrive there, right? Yeah, as much as we, I mean, we are in these three cities because of what you mentioned, right? There's a strong design community. Um, you know, creative people wanting to get engaged, but we have it really good in Boston, and they have it really good in Portland, really good in San Francisco. You know, can we take this concept and go into like a Detroit or a St. Louis, where it's not that we're creating a community? You know, yes, we'll create a community around the designers and the people who want to. Uh, we always call them design enthusiasts that want to like engage with design. But when we do these, what we call demonstration projects, where we might install a new playground concept, or those new, new benches where we actually are making real impact, not just exhibiting it, man, can we make some serious impact in some of these cities with our innovative approach. Right. So it might, it, you know, just, we can, 
if there's three, we always say there's three areas. There's our inspirational content, our education content, and our demonstration content. And different cities are going to get a different mix sure. of, um, you know, I can, again, I can imagine going into some of these cities and only doing demonstration projects because that's the most efficient way to show people that design can change the world. There may be different levels of maturity or exactly. uh, um, openness, right, that can change over time. Yeah, too, so. definitely. I mean, some of these cities, we could get a building. <laughs> right. And Detroit, maybe, you might find Yeah, them. I mean, you could literally have any building you want. Um, and is that, you know, is that a good thing, bad thing? How does that, how does that work? How's, so the other thing that I've, I've tried to build into the museum, as you probably, is that flexibility and iteration is just part of our everyday work environment you know today we were talking about how do we create urban hikes in boston and we had a whole just brainstorm around it does it fit our model does it fit our mission how would we execute it and um, we use design and design thinking even within creating our programming and our business so hopefully we can be like a beacon of light around that as well like just trying things and if, if a tiny nonprofit museum can like take risks and not be afraid to fail, then because if we fail, it could be, it could be over. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but we, if we don't, if we don't keep trying new things, then what's the point? Right. Yeah. That's great. That reminds me of the Braille trail. Oh yeah. Today. That's yeah, fantastic. So cool. I just read it, you know, in terms of urban hikes. That's really oh, we cool. want to do this urban hiking thing. So I, I see a real problem with people walking around their city with their phone six inches from their face. I, I get a real, I mean, I, you know, of course I do that too. I love my phone, but I also love work walking around and riding my bike and like seeing things and noticing things. And I think we're losing that. And so every program we do is about around some problem or opportunity. And we're like, man, the urban hike thing could like highlight cool design, but also just have people be able to have a non-digital urban experience. Sure. And we were like, man, if we could pull this off, then, and also, could it scale? Could we do it in other cities? We always have that kind of lens on things as well. But that would be one that would be really fun to do here. Well, just to just to to, to end with a, a, a callback to the partnership and 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 the the uh, B, now BPDA. One of the concepts we we suggested was around you know Boston has its Freedom Trail that looks at the oh, history, yeah. but the Future Trail and how we're trying to create opportunities for people to understand where the city can go in a very optimistic way so mm-hmm. maybe uh maybe yeah, they'll be game there. for jamming with you on that so yeah because we need their approval to put trail markers sure sure <laughs> different parts of the city so yeah hopefully they will uh they'll say yes to that that's great um so last question the 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 magazine the new website what tell us a little bit about that and what sure. what we can expect and timing on uh Website and the like. Yeah, so we just launched the new magazine. We had our first issue come out, what, about a month and a half ago. And the idea there is, as much as we, and people are like, they're like, you're everywhere. How do you how do you get everywhere? And I'm like, well, I think we're really good at social media and, about, and, and that stuff. But still, like, an event is like a one place in time. An exhibition is a one place over a certain amount of time. And then we might be popped down. And we're like, well, if we're going to be a, a nomadic museum, we need to have some artifact some like touchstone that people can hold on to and be like this is the museum like i'm holding it in my hand and we have we are working with so many amazing thought leaders i mean it's like overabundance it's like what's the phrase embarrassment of riches, riches. Yeah, yeah it's just like and to me it was actually a little frustrating to be like you know we're just in this stream of thought leadership and then like okay maybe an event will pop out here and there 
So the magazine provides us an opportunity to tell like broader stories, more in depth, in a way that um, trying to the models to sort of be the like the HBR of Design Impact to kind of like you know. My dad reads HBR. He's in business, but I know other people who aren't in business and read HBR for other inspiration, you know, content and advice. I would love for our magazine to like be that. Like people want to learn about design, and they, it's accessible for people, but also you know, a professional designer wants to pick it up and and learn about a new project. Uh, and then the website, which we're looking probably like Q1 of next year, um, will be a, a digital embodiment of that. So right now, you, when you go to our site, which I love, it's like it has a map of like where we are. And um, it's good. You can find us, you know, and go to an event. The new site will be much more around the impact of design. So when you go to it, I'll I'll, I'll total, I'm all about transparency. We started to um, kind of pique the interest of different foundations around the U.S. of like, maybe they want to fund us. That's fantastic. Awesome. And some have. Thank you. And, uh, (laughs) but some, they're like, we went on your site. And you have no idea who you are or what you do. And so it's going to be a no. And it was like heartbreaking to me because not only because I need, you know, that's my job to keep this funded, but also as designers and if we can't tell our story. And so I think we created a site that is a tool to interact with the museum, but it does not reflect the, the stream of thought leadership that we are swimming in. And so, yeah, the new site, that, that'll be the focus. Just to be able to find us. But it'll be more of like, I want to go visit the I've learned so much. Now I want to go visit, you know, in air quotes, the museum. And then you'll be able to find us. Um, so, yeah, everything's an iteration and changing. I love that you, you, you made a pop-up museum without a physical space. And then you made a tangible magazine. So yeah. it's really nice, right? It, yeah. It's, it's not just the digital version. Well, so many people were like, you know it's 2016. And you know, like, magazines are, like, going out of business left and right. My reply to them is though that the the magazines and the online um, content platforms that are succeeding are doing events and exhibitions. Yeah, you look at the Atlantic and Fast Company. Oh my gosh! Like, why are they doing conferences? And so we're just coming at it from the other side. Like, we do conferences, we do exhibitions, we do events, and we'll make our thought leadership known through the magazine, and and they play play with it you know back and forth sure, like sure. we can run an article or they create new themes or exactly like there can be different um you know dialogue that occurs through the magazine that then leads into we're starting a whole initiative around diversity in design and i can like how do we build a program around this like it's so big and the other day we were sort of like we don't need to do a program let's just run like a really awesome thought leadership piece and get the conversation going and then see where it leads and so that as another sort of like path for our content I think is going to be so I mean I've been so like you always have this like hypothesis and like there are people that are design thought leaders that want to get their stories out and I'm thinking like where can they do that now and there's not a lot of places so that's my hypothesis that like people would want to like contribute and now we have this amazing pipeline of people who are like so one of our first uh, articles was from uh, Sasaki uh, landscape architecture planning firm and they were like, we have this, these amazing stories and no place to put them besides like our own website, which, I mean, that's one way to do it. But, but there's no aggregation, there's no then, aggregation. right? Then you go to 10 different websites. Exactly. And then our, our goal beyond that, and this is just a total. So I did my senior, or my senior, my uh, thesis for my MBA on HBR <laughs> because they're brilliant around packaging thought leadership and content. Yeah. 
And so this is a total um, borrowing of their concept. But So that one from Sasaki is about play. Mm -hmm. We've got a couple other pieces in the pipeline about design and play. And then we have the book. <laughs> we'll, we'll put them all in a book and publish it. And you can buy the must-reads around design and play, design and workplace, design and healthcare. And so that kind of track of... Because it's really hard to fund a museum as a pure play. I sure. mean, it's just like, oh my God. But if we can also be a media company on top of that, then... Then you don't have to have weddings. Right? Exactly. Like, like, like these to... other museums. <laughs> oh my God, yeah. That whole area of fundraising around the building, that's just totally not possible for me. I, I'm so jealous. Yeah. We would have bought a brick, though, if you had your Yeah, see, like, I want to, like, sell bricks. Like, how do I sell <laughs> bricks? I have no bricks. Yeah. So we got to be a little bit more thoughtful and innovative around how we connect with the audience. Sure, sure. Yeah. So. Well, Sam, thank you so much. Thank you. This some was exciting fun. stuff. Thanks. Appreciate you coming by. My pleasure. The Resonance Test Podcast is where we seek out people who are consistently able to go from inspiration and cool ideas to fully implementing them. Innovation in this form can be found in all sorts of fields, from health and tech to food and the workplace, and we love hearing how different people have gone about doing this repeatedly. Continuum is a global innovation design consultancy with studios in Boston, Los Angeles, Milan, Seoul, and Shanghai. At Continuum, we're very deliberate about the term innovation. For us, it means turning ideas into stuff that's real. Because from our perspective, it's not really innovative until it exists. If you want to learn more about Continuum and the work we do, go to continuuminnovation.com. Thanks to Sam and John for their great conversation today. Many thanks to Kip, our sound engineer extraordinaire, for getting this bad boy recorded. Multiple thanks to Ken Gordon, our producer, for all his masterminding behind the scenes. And to our listeners, we thank you for your ears. Mm-hmm.